How are you guys today? Good. We are excited to be here and excited to share with you what the Lord has been doing the last three years in, um, in Tanzania, but more so in our lives and what he's been teaching us. Um, would we, I just want on a pause and just pray for a moment here. Jesus, um, our, our words are empty unless you uh, fill them with your spirit. Lord, I'm asking that you would speak today to us, uh, that you would draw us uh, into you, closer to you. Lord, unless you, um, unless you speak, um, our words are, are, are empty. So would you do that? Would you uh, anoint this time? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, we just wanted to thank um, New Community for the support that they have, that you guys have shown us over the years. Um, we left uh, for Tanzania in 2013, and we left with a two-year-old and a three-month-old, two boys. And this is a recent picture of our family. We have a new addition, little Ellie Joy who was born about five weeks ago. And Paul is our oldest, and then Wesley on the left there. We first want to just give you a, a quick update on some things in Tanzania and, and uh, where we're at there. We are, we've been working among an unreached people group called the Matumbi People Group, and they are a, a uh, remote uh, people group. And... There's a map, I think. We have a map up there. Yeah, so the top left is Africa. And then the bottom left is Tanzania. And the white box is where, are where the Matumi people are located. And the big section is um, a map of uh, where the, uh, several villages uh, that we have um, been to and plotted on a GPS, so we're in the process of making a map and finding all of the villages among the Matumbi people. Um, when we left, you can, next picture there, there's a picture of us having just arrived. Paul is, I'm holding Paul and Janelle is holding Wesley, and though Wesley was three months old, barely three months old, he was a big baby. God answered our prayer for a healthy boy to take to Africa. Born at 10 pounds, he was, he was a big boy, and he was ready to go to the middle of nowhere in Africa. Um, how do you sum up three years in 20, 25 minutes? You can't. Um, but God has been doing some amazing things. We've We've been on a team, and this is actually at the end of our three years there. This is our team that we've been with. Um, we've had the privilege and the amazing opportunity to share life and um, do this together with 
others. And this team has been incredible to have on the ground there. Um, go back to that picture real quick. The, there's a uh, family on the left there. They're our Tanzanian teammates. They came from a different area of Tanzania to partner with us. Um, and they're on the ground there right now while we're away on furlough. So we'll be joining back up with them in September. We plan to go back. And as well as one other teammate, uh, Rachel, one of the single gals up there. The Matumbi people, um, you can go to the next slide there. This is um, just one of our friends uh, and um, kind of my Matumbi dad who's kind of adopted me into their family. Um, real neat man. And just some pictures here of some friends that we've made. This is our neighbor, Mamo Madi, washing dishes. This is the house, a picture of the front of our house that we lived in. Very basic. Janelle's going to talk a lot about that. And then, briefly, we just want to give an update on some of the things God has been doing there. Um, the first year was spent mostly learning language and just learning how to survive and building relationships. Um, and as language improved and relationships deepened, um, God began to just do some incredible things. And one of the exciting things that's ongoing is a Bible storying project. Most of the people over there are illiterate, and the, their language, the Matumbi language, is not written. And so though there's a team uh, with pioneer Bible translators on the ground, actually just started a Bible translation, which is exciting. Um, most of the people don't know how to read. And so we're... We've been working with uh, putting together a Bible storying project, taking the key stories from creation all the way to Revelation, um, and working with our Matumbi friends to get it translated into their language and how they would tell a story. Um, and it's been really exciting. We've seen God do a lot of neat things through the, through the times, meeting with um, them and through the Bible stories. And our hope is to... Um, when we go back to complete this story set, we have 15 stories, and be able to pass them out in audio forms um, for people to listen to. And they get so excited when they hear a Bible story in their language told by one of, one of them. Um, and what we've seen is that these stories are the most interesting, the most... Um, yeah, just they just love listening to these stories. It's been amazing. We've seen God do some healing miracles. Um, a man was healed of epilepsy. Uh, several people have been freed by, are freed from evil spirits, and dreams. God is giving uh, dreams. One man had a dream to go and find the living water. A Muslim man. These are the Matumbi are Muslim people. And so he goes to the local mosque thinking that he'll find his answers there. And he leaves the mosque more disillusioned and doesn't find his answer. He had met our teammate prior to this. He said, I'm going to go, knew he was a Christian. I'm going to go and talk to um, our teammate, and maybe he has an answer for me. So he shows up on, her, on his doorstep and tells him about this dream. I had a dream. I hear this voice. Go and find the, I'm supposed to find this living water. And they recognize this is the Lord. 
And they bring him in, they share with him, uh, John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well, the living water. And he says, this is it. This is the answer to my dream. I want this. I want Jesus. And so they pray, they pray with him there. He receives Christ. There's been several sal salvations, stories. Bapt uh, we had a baptism. This picture here was um, in uh, June of 2014. And we had come back briefly for my sister's wedding. We shared more of this story, which is a powerful story. Both, all these men were alcoholics. The man on the left was the first guy that God got a hold of um, after we arrived. And he talked about a walking testimony. He doesn't have to say a word. He is like the guy, in, the demoniac in the Gospels who was filled with demons, was out in the world, was a mess, was not clothed, was crazy, and... The Lord really healed this man and uh, set him free, and he's clothed, and he's in his right mind, and he doesn't have to say a word. He just walks everywhere. He's, people are asking questions. Did this really work? And then his buddies come and say, I want whatever medicine you gave him. And we share, well, the medicine is Jesus. And So just it's just been amazing what the Lord has done, and, and there's stories after stories of... Um, they're God's stories. They're what he's doing. And we've had the privilege to be a part of it and to see those things. But today we really want to focus on three areas that the Lord has been working in us and teaching us. And just want to open our hearts to you and kind of invite you in to see, um, and to see what our journey's been like. And, um, yeah, Janelle's going to share a little bit about to uh, get that going. So we went with a just barely two-year-old and not quite three-month-old to the middle of nowhere in Tanzania to a rural village where missionaries had not yet been. And so our goal was to identify with the people as much as we could and live on their level as much as we were able. And so we had quite a shock and we went through definitely the hardest three years of our life a lot of what we could share might sound romanticized and adventurous and exciting but the truth is um, there's no way we can actually communicate how hard it was a lot of the time especially at first so we're going to start by being really honest about that um, because it was the hardest three years of our life and yet we can look back on it and say that it was the best three years of our life as well. So before we left, we were s super busy living life here and having babies and excited to go to Africa and there just kept getting more delays so there kept being more babies and by the time we left honestly we were hardly um, prioritizing time with the Lord we wanted to but it was just too it felt impossible and so I would say we would say when we look back when we left we were empty we were running on empty running on fumes talk about a bad idea and yeah, we knew it was going to be hard, but we didn't know how hard hard can be. 
And so we immediately were just dropped into the deep end of this crazy hard life and immediately were completely overwhelmed in crisis. And I could try to explain all of the things about it that were hard, but you get the picture. Um, living without running water or, or drains and electricity and refrigeration and um, water was just the rain that we could collect and purify and then it would stop raining and just the um, bugs and the heat and the humidity and the dirt. I mean, all of it just added up to be um, incredibly stressful. We were sick a lot not sleeping with the little kids. And there was just all of this that kind of felt like we were put in a pressure cooker and it was a recipe for disaster. And by the end of our first year, we'd pretty much just been flailing to survive the whole first year. And we were reaching, or we had reached our breaking point. And it was at that time that um, some things had to change or we weren't going to make it. And the biggest thing that had to happen was we both had to have time with the Lord. And that was what made the biggest difference. Going into our second year, we started giving each other time to truly be alone with Jesus every day. And that is how we made it and could figure out a rhythm to life and start to survive and really um, get a grip on life in some ways, even though it was still really hard. And some of our biggest challenges were that second year. And But then at the end of that second year, we went to a conference where we were encouraged and challenged and just incredibly relieved to, to hear a message on um, truly abiding in Jesus and challenge to spend even more time with him every day and that that is the foundation out of which everything else will flow and so as we went back to the village to finish our last year we began to actually prioritize time with Jesus above everything and to give each other that time trading off the kids and hosting the stream of visitors and we would say that was the turning point in our time there to really begin to start thriving, but also in our lives. I just want to read Luke five fourteen through 16. It says, but the news about him, Jesus, was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. It's amazing that Jesus was God, a very God. He was completely one with the Father. And yet he, it was important to him to get away and to be alone and to have that time just with the Father and being with him. There's not a lot of detail that's given us about what that time looked like for him, but he we're told that he did that. He would go away and he would find a quiet place, a secluded place to pray. For us, we've, we've been learning um, that spending extended times, having expen extended times with Jesus every day 
is the foundation, has become the foundation for everything else that we do. And we've also learned that um, we are the masters of our schedules. And what we mean by that is um, we really prioritize, we will prioritize what is most important to us. And if Jesus is, and being with him, and having this time with him, is the most important thing in our life, we will prioritize that. Mm -hmm. For us, we weren't. Before we left, we were not prioritizing time with him. We, he really wasn't, if he really was the most important thing in our life, and, and, the, and the most important person in our life, we would have made more time with him. We loved him. We were headed to serve him full time. We, we, we adore and worship Jesus, but when it came down to it on a day-to-day -day basis, we just didn't make that time. And through these last three years, through the hard and through being in a state of desperateness, we had to do that or else we wouldn't make it, like Janelle said. And, and that's the question. Is, is Jesus and spending time with him more important than anything else? When we're with him, we're restored, and our soul is truly satisfied. Um, we've been experiencing this, and, and, and just the sweetness of his presence, just being with him. There's a longing in all of, our, in all of us to be with him. That's what we're created for. We're created for him. And we can't, this longing in us will never be satisfied with anything else or anyone else except for Jesus. Psalm, I love uh, Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. There are eternal pleasures. God wants to satisfy our soul, and it can only be in him. When we look to try to fill that void that's in, and this longing with other things and other people even, it never it comes up empty, it comes up dry. There's nothing more satisfying than the presence of Jesus. And we have an enemy, two enemies really, we have ourselves, but we also have an actual enemy out there known as Satan, the devil, and he knows this. He knows that if we are intimate with Jesus, if we really know him, how, how, how powerful of a weapon that will be. And so he's out there. He's there trying to do everything he can to keep us from spending time with Jesus. And I, we've come to believe this, that after being away for three years, out of life here and now coming back, we've recognized that there is a current here. There's a, there's a state of, a constant state of busyness. There's a constant inundation of world, of self, and gratifying the desires of the flesh. And I don't think Satan has to do a lot, really, to distract us. I mean, we're pretty good at doing that ourselves. And that's where, who is Jesus the most important thing in our lives? Is he, is being with him. 
Abiding is throughout the day, it's every day. But for us, it's become the foundation has, and where we start is in that time set aside to be with him. And for us, it's been in the morning. And out of that time, we're able to, um, it's, it's, been, it's easier to acknowledge his presence throughout the day and be mindful of him throughout the day. And when we don't have it, because life does happen, there are times where we, we don't get it, we feel it. We know, we feel that ah, a disconnect. But Jesus knows this. He knows about our enemy, our foe, and he's already overcome him, right? And we have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus is going to help us if we want to really be with him. He will help us and he will guard, um, help us to guard this time with him every day. And he wants it, yeah, and he wants it more than we do. Um, and in terms of the Great Commission um, and bearing fruit and making disciples, this is the key. And Jesus gives us this key in John fifteen four. He says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can't do anything, you can do nothing. And this has become so true for us that we really can't do anything of significance for the kingdom apart from him. It's him, it's it's Jesus' work. He's the one who's doing it. He's the one who's going to produce that fruit in us and through us if we're abiding in him. Well, through abiding... It is out of an abiding relationship that we've also been learning the importance of obedience and how obeying Jesus, the more we abide, the more we know him, the more we love him, the more we experience his presence, obeying him becomes more of a delight than a chore or than this duty, whatever. It becomes a delight. And he changes our thinking. He changes our heart to want what he wants. Jesus says in Luke six forty six, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We, would do, we do that. We call him Lord. We say, Lord, I believe in you. You are the Lord of my life. But day in and day out, we actually don't do what he says. We want to. Do we want to? And that's what it's come down to, come down to for us is, is Jesus going to be the Lord of our life, truly? Or are we going to choose to still be on the throne of our life? Jesus gives us a great and awesome privilege to partner with him in what he's doing in Matthew 28 18 through 20 it says and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all nations the all nations there is talking about uh, individual ethnic 
groups, people groups, not just countries, but people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This, we believe and have come to believe that this is for all believers. This is for all Christians. All of us, in some way, are called to be a part of making disciples. The question for us is not, am I called, but where am I called? Some of us, God calls to go to other places. He calls us to go to Africa, to the Middle East. Some of you, he's calling you to go, and it's not right for you to stay. And some of us, though, are called to stay and to go across the street to our neighbors here in Spokane. In some way, whether, whether it's here or there, we're called to make disciples. This is the bearing fruit that will last that Jesus talks about. And we can't do it. We can't do it unless we're abiding in him. Um, there's a map here of a progress map. This is uh, put out by IMB, International Mission Board, and it's a collaboration of many mission organizations across the world. Um, the technology and the access to resources that we have today is incredible, and this is the product of countless men and women who um, together are saying what is, the ta where, what is the task remaining? Where are those places that are con considered unreached? Where are those ethnic groups, those people groups that have no viable witness right now for Jesus? There's nobody engaging them with the gospel. This is a picture of about six, they estimate about 6,000. There's 6,000 individual ethnic groups that are considered unreached. And there are about 3,000 of those who are considered unengaged. That means that there are no missionaries, there are no nationals, there, there are nobody, nobody is engaging them with the gospel. And it's interesting because I always thought America was pretty much Christian and reached and, you know, but there's some red dots here. And it's estimated now that there are actually about 350 uh, unreached people groups, people from unreached people groups, um, 350 unreached people groups that are represented by people living here who have come as refugees or immigrants. Um, and there are pockets of these people who are living across the nation. And some of us are called to reach them. And but this is, uh, this is just a, an amazing map that we have today that we, we haven't had this kind of information before. So this, though, this task remaining of making disciples among all nations is going to cost us our lives. It's going to cost us everything. 
it's going to mean that we have to completely abandon ourselves, lay down our lives, and obey Jesus. Janelle said the last three years have been the most difficult years of our life, but they've also been the best, and they've been the best of, in that our soul has been just, um, the Lord has done a work through the hard, through the difficult, through the suffering, and he's brought us closer to him. Janelle's going to talk a little bit about that. The remaining task will require abiding obedience and suffering. When we left for Tanzania, I was so excited to go. I had been since I was very young, actually. And some of you might have been here about 10 years ago when I came back from my first short-term trip to Kenya all excited about my wonderful experience there and I couldn't wait to go back and a husband and two kids later and a little bit of brokenness um, I had a little bit more of a realistic picture I was terrified um, of what was in store and I had good reason to be and at my excitement to do great things in Africa for the Lord um, was put through the fire. And it turns out there was a whole lot of self in that that had to die. And that is why I can look back and say, praise God, I'm so glad it did. Because my wanting to do great things um, for the Lord, yes, and for the people of Africa, yes, um, was missing <laughs> the whole point because they don't need me <laughs> or us. No one does. But we all need Jesus. And he is so faithful, and that means so much more now than I ever knew. He's so faithful to make himself known to us, and to every people group. I love Psalm 46:10. Let go, relax, cease striving. And it can also mean collapse and know that I am God. I will be exalted among every people. And so after these first 3 years that were a lot like boot camp, we truly were shaped for um, now a future. We want to serve him wherever he calls us to, among unreached people groups, among Muslim unreached people groups. And we had to be broken in a lot of ways, and we had to be crucified to ourselves in a lot of ways because the only way anything of lasting value, any fruit that will abide, any disciples that will be made who are abiding in Jesus, um, will be born from him as we abide in him. Talking about suffering, um, he's been teaching us a lot about what it means, uh, what the crucified life, um, 
is, and yet we feel like we've just begun to scratch the surface, really, of what this means. And Paul um, is a great example. Paul in the Bible is, um, in just reading through the New Testament, um, there are so many scriptures that talk about suffering for the gospel or suffering for Jesus. And for us, it's been, what does it mean to be all in for Jesus? What will it mean? And Jesus doesn't promise us an easy life is the reality. He doesn't promise us um, that our life will be free from problems or um, trials or temptations. Actually, he promises the opposite. He says, you will have these things. It will be through tribulations that we will enter the kingdom of God. There's a kind of suffering that happens that, that is unique to the Christian. To someone who says, I'm all in, Lord. There's a kind of suffering that we will experience. It's promised. It's guaranteed. Paul says in, in um, Timothy, 2 Timothy, he's talking to Timothy. He's trying to encourage Timothy, his, his disciple. And he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or, his, or of me, his prisoner. You know, he's writing this in prison, right? And he says, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. He says, goes on to say, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And there's just this um, reality that we've been um, growing in and pressing into that going to these unreached places, actually being all in, to, all in for Jesus is going to require us to suffer and die. Really, it's about dying to ourself. Paul says in um, Galatians, oh, here it is. In um, Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I think Paul got it, you know. I think he understood, as, is, as did Peter, as did the disciples, the first ones. You know, most of these guys, actually, history records that I think all of them but John were martyred for their faith. And John died in prison as he was allowed to be, to live older. God gave him revelation that we have in the Bible, but he was in prison too. All these guys were sold out, were in it 100%. They, and they got it because they understood who Jesus was. They knew Jesus, and they knew that it was all worth it. Paul says in Philippians 3, 7, and this has been a, another just a really rich foundational verse for us, 3, 7 through 11, he says, but whatever things were gained to me, you know, he's talking about, he's list, he had just listed off all of his, like, credentials uh, in Judaism and how he was just this cream-of-the-crop Jew before Christ got a hold of him. And he just says, what all these things that used to be, I used to consider gain, I used to, cons I used to boast in these things. He said, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
More than that, I count all things, everything, to be lost in the view of suf- uh, in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul said that the 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 best thing, the most important thing, is knowing Jesus. It's just knowing Him, being intimate with Him. And he said, goes on to say, for whom I have suffered the loss of everything, and I count it all as rubbish or garbage so that I can gain Christ and that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, and he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, so that, or in order, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There's, there's a depth to this passage that we've begun just barely, I think, to tap into. And we want to grow in this. We want to learn. We want to learn. Lord, we want to say, Lord, we're all in. No matter the cost, no matter what it's going to cost, if it will cost us our lives or if you allow us to live a lot longer, more importantly than a physical death is teach us, Lord, what it means to die to ourself every day, to live for you, to make you known, to know you, and to participate in the sufferings as a, as a believer. Why would it, you know this is why would anybody want to do this? Why would anybody want to follow Jesus if it's going to be so hard? And many of the disciples we read at one point they heard some hard things that Jesus was saying. He was talking about he was just saying some some hard things and it says many many of the disciples stopped walking with him anymore because it was too hard. They couldn't hear it. They couldn't they just didn't didn't, didn't want to keep following with him. And he says to Peter and to the 12, he says, are you guys going to stay? Are you guys going to go too? And Peter says, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter got it. The reason why we do this is because we gain Christ. We'll be found in him. And the the pleasures... um, the eternal pleasures that God talks about in Psalms is um, in the midst of this, he pro- he does, though he, he guarantees that we'll suffer, he guarantees that we will, um, that it's going to be hard. If we're really all in, it's going to be hard because we'll have to die to ourselves. Yet he promises his peace He promises his joy. He promises his Holy Spirit. And he promises his life. Jesus gives us himself, which is far better than anything else in this life. And we've begun to taste that. We've had glimpses of that. We've begun to experience that in some ways. And our hearts are just saying, Lord, we want more. We want more of you. Do we long to be with Jesus? Do we just long to be with him, to be in his presence? That's what it's about. I mean, that is the, that is the joy. That is the, 
the good news that we have, that we, that we have access to the Father. We have access, complete access to him. But are we, do we want that? Do we want him? Do we long to be with him? He longs to be with us more than we do. And he's just waiting. He's just, he is so patient. It's amazing. When I choose to go after other things um, to try to satisfy my soul, he gently leads me. He, he lets us go that route. He lets us go down these roads, you know. I mean, he knows what it's going to do. He knows what it's going to do to us and he lets us do it and yet he's always there he's saying I'm here when you're ready will will we do whatever it takes to just get alone with him for an extended time every day what does that look like for us will we learn to obey him no matter what will we embrace the cross and be willing to suffer for his name Jesus loves you he loves you. He loves us. And he gave up everything for us. And the question is, are we going to be willing to give up everything for him so that we might know him? Yeah, Janelle's going to, um, wants to share just one last thing and then we'll, we'll finish here. But this is the newest addition to our family here, little Ellie Joy. It's quite a joy. And Janelle just share a little bit. Yeah. So this is just a little picture that I want to share with you that God gave us throughout our time there. When he started hinting that it was time to add another little life to our family, I was terrified. And yet I had learned throughout our first two years at that point that it was through the hard stuff that he let us know him more, so it was worth it. So with fear and trembling, I submitted. And um, eventually God gave us a little life. And yet I told the Lord just how hard it was going to be. Hard pregnancy, rural village. I was so sick. I was sure I'd lose her. And so I gave God all the reasons why this was a horrible idea. And yet he told me, here we were in the remote village, not even able to get to the um, city to even have a checkup yet. And the Lord told me, you have your Elizabeth. And we'd always wanted a girl, and I'd always wanted an Elizabeth, but I didn't even know what that name meant. And that was when I found out it means God promises and he gave me her middle name, Joy. And she became and is now, continues to be and always will be a picture of God's promised joy. And that the joy of knowing him, of intimacy with him, will always produce life and joy on a level so much deeper than the happiness I thought I had had to let go forever. And we wanted to share all of this with you and, and invite you to ask the Lord um, 
throughout this next worship time, prayer time, how he's calling you, inviting you to know him more. And there is indeed um, so much joy ahead. Uh, just real quick, we forgot to say this last service, but we'll be out there if any of you guys want to talk with us or pray with us or whatever. Um, we've got some things for you out there. But um, yeah, let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you for your presence with us. Jesus, uh, it's all about you, Lord. Lord, we just, we just thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love for us that never fails and never changes. Thank you that your faithfulness, Lord, you will always be faithful even when we're faithless. Would you teach us, Lord, what it means to be all in for you? Would you teach us what it means to abandon it all so that we might gain you? We love you, Lord. Just pray for your encouragement today for each one here, for your presence to go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you uh, thank Jeremy and Janelle for sharing with us? Um, each time I, I get the privilege of uh, hearing someone share twice, both services, and uh, what I said in the first service, I think rings true for this as well, that uh, any time I talk with either of them, what you can see so clearly is their heart. Uh, their heart for a lost people group, their heart for the gospel, their heart for what God's been doing in their own lives, the change that's taking place. Um, but as they were sharing, two things just stood out to me that, uh, that God kept kind of like reinforcing in my own life. Maybe they're just for me, maybe they're for us as a community, but the first the first idea that I kept hearing from them is they got to that space in their first year where they were just desperate. They were like on their knees, God, do we quit? We can't do this on our own anymore. And if, if you were to talk to either of them on their way to Tanzania, there probably would have been this eagerness, this excitement, this ability to say, hey, we're going to go and we're going to change that village for Christ, right? And we're going to walk in and God's going to do amazing things. And while all of that is true, there was a bit of them coming saying, like, look at the opportunity we have. And when they got into year one, they just went, we're nothing. And I think we need to understand that ministry happens best when it comes out of a place of brokenness. When it comes out of being desperate. When it comes out of being needy. That we don't actually bring anything to the table. That if we just be, submit ourselves and say, God, it, my life is yours, whatever you want, that's actually when true ministry begins to happen. It's in that place of weakness that he is strong. And I think the second thing that really stood out to me as I was listening is not only do we have to be the kinds of people that are desperate, not only do we have to like go out into the city and instead of saying we want to, to change this whole city for Christ, to actually say, God, the only thing we could do is just be used by you in the city. But I think the second thing is that we, we have to understand that it takes perseverance. So the interns, every year we like memorize a section of James chapter 1. And we go over it together again and again. And one of the sections talks about the trials, right? That trials will come to every single one of us. 
that all of us will face and experience trials. But then James goes on to say that if you go through the trial with joy, that you will experience this perseverance, right? This, This steadfastness, this like ability to get through it. And as you do, the word says this, that perseverance must finish its work. Must finish its work. I was telling the first service that one of the things that I think that hinders the growth of the church in the United States probably more than any other thing is the fact that whenever we come into a situation in which we need to live with perseverance, we hit the eject button. If there's a time that we're in trial, we go, I'm going to get out of it. If there's a time where pressure is on, suffering, difficulty, challenge, whatever it is, we find the escape route, we find the simplest way to get out of it, we, re- we reject it because life has to be about comfort. It has to be about my well-being. It has to be about my happiness. When what the text says is that when you go through perseverance, it must finish its work. You must go through it. And when you do, you become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I think if we as a community want to live into that space where we're not lacking anything, but rather making a difference in the life of others, it requires us to be desperate. And it requires us to live into being a people of perseverance. All right? Let me pray, and then we're going to s- sing just another song or so and uh, conclude our time. God, we are desperate for you. We're desperate to hear from you. Uh, we're desperate to be a part of uh, what you're doing in this city. Uh, we are grateful for the ways that you have moved through Jeremy and Janelle. Uh, the the stories of miracles that you've performed, the lives that have been changed. Uh, But we're also grateful that they left passionate about you, but have come back even more so. That they left acknowledging a need for you, but came back realizing how much they truly depend on you. And we're grateful for how you've worked in their life. May their story be an example to us, uh, to risk have courage to lean into what you're calling us into and to realize that it is in our weakness that you become strong. God, help us to be people of perseverance and to lean into what you're calling us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.